Hello and welcome into NCBI's Technology Podcast. This is episode number 28 for September 2014. Well, it's Stuart Lawler with you as always. Thank you for joining us. Hope you've had a good month and hope you're looking forward to the next uh, 63 or so minutes because that's the length of time we're with you in September. Uh, This month, I'll be telling you about our NCBI Assistive Technology Roadshow. The exhibition is rolling into town in a place near you in October, so stay tuned for that. We speak with Daniel Novak about a new iPhone app called Blind Shell. Sean Randall is telling us all about the Chromecast device. Mark Nelson from Digital Apex is telling us about a series of training material that his company has available. And finally, James Gashel from KNFB Reading Technologies will introduce us to the KNFB Reader for iOS. That's all coming up on this month's edition of NCBI's Technology Podcast. Kicking us off this month, September is a time of year for going back to school or back to college or starting something new in the line of education. It also happens to be a time, apparently, for making new resolutions. I saw something about that on Twitter earlier today. But whatever you might be doing in September, if you are starting something new, it might also be a good time to look at some new technology. We're delighted to announce our by now annual exhibition at NCBI. It's coming along again on the 22nd, 23rd and 24th of October this this year. We love seeing people at these exhibitions because it gives us a chance to bring technology to you, but probably more importantly, it gives you a chance to talk to the exhibitors, manufacturers um, and international dealers for these products to have all your questions answered. Now, on Wednesday the 22nd of October, we'll be in the Talbot Hotel in the Slaney Suite from 11am to 3pm. On Thursday the 23rd of October, we're going to the Shamrock Lodge Hotel in Athlone, again from 11am to 3pm. And on Friday the 24th of October, we will be at NCBI, the Rehabilitation Training Centre here at the back of our main building, again 11am to 3pm. At time of recording, and we will update you on this in October by the way, the following uh, presenters, the following exhibitors rather, have confirmed their attendance. Ash Technologies, Sight and Sound, Vision Aid, Enhanced Vision, Southern Optics and Ultra Cane. But we are expecting many more exhibitors, Colin Kenny is working hard on putting this together and uh, we will have more information for you on the October edition of our podcast but please put those dates in your diary if you're interested. Uh, Wexford 22nd of October, Athlone on the 23rd and Dublin on the 24th. Now on our last podcast we mentioned VIX, the Visually Impaired Computer Society of Ireland and they were talking to us, uh, Kerry Doyle was on talking to us about their weekend which was being organised in Mayo from the 19th to the 21st of September. Now unfortunately that weekend has been postponed Um, due to a number of factors and they are looking at dates to be organised later in the autumn. Please keep an eye on VixIreland.org if you want to know more about the proposed new dates and if we get them, we'll carry them too on our technology podcast. Thanks to everybody who gets in touch with us. We'll go through an email or two later on. If you want to do that, of course, technologypodcast at ncbi.ie is the address.
We've spoken a lot about iOS applications pretty much since this podcast started, but it's fair to say we haven't devoted that much time, or at least not as much time, to the Android operating system and some of the applications that you can use on that operating platform. Well, someone who's developed something quite new and exciting for Android is Daniel Novak from the Czech Republic. He's the man behind an application called Blind Shell, and he joins us on Skype. Daniel, welcome to our technology podcast. Welcome, welcome, Stuart, and uh, good day to all your listeners. Yeah, indeed. It's great to have you. Thank you for joining us. Um, so I, I came across Blind Shell. I think a colleague actually forwarded me the info last week. What is it, first of all? Okay, so uh, first of all, I should mention that uh, in the project is also incorporated a colleague of mine, Peter Swobodnik. He's the main developer, and uh, I am a, some kind of marketing person and project manager. Okay. So uh, the idea came uh, across uh, one year ago when we did realize that uh, under the current Android system, a very simple interface for blind and visually impaired users is missing. Naturally, uh, there is already application that is incorporated by default in the operating system of Android. And maybe the listeners they will know it. It's called Torback. However, for newcomers to Android operating system, this alternative interface is quite complicated and difficult to use. So you created, let's say, a, well, a shell, as you call it, blind shell. Um, you created a shell that makes this experience easier. Is that right? Exactly. That's okay. That's correct. And what what do you have as part of this? Because I, I was reading it. It seems to be a, a suite of applications. Oh yeah. So uh, now at the moment, uh, the interface is really really easy, and everybody that hasn't ever experienced uh, the touch phones, could operate uh, with touch phones in 45 minutes, according to our experience. After initial training, that takes about 30 minutes, right? So at the moment, uh, we've got uh, several tens of users. Uh, most of them are in Czech Republic, and we just started distributing our application just uh, just a few weeks ago. And uh, at the moment, uh, the application is distributed like a package. So it means that uh, the non-NGO here in Prague, the National Association of Blinds, is offering a special package that includes a blind shell application itself, then a smartphone, Samsung Young, and in the package is also included a training lessons, right? That takes approximately one hour. For people who are not in the Czech Republic, who don't have access to that sort of stuff, um, before we talk about actually getting the software, t- what's available in the software? What, what, what will this software let me do with my Android phone? Right. So uh, we've got the main functionalities like a call, sending SMS, reminders. There is also a, a, some kind of book reader that works with TXT, it means with text, plain text. We've got also some alarm as well. Uh, we already incorporated color recognition in our software and uh, another modules uh, we are planning uh, to release in near future, like calendar or banknote recognition, right? Okay, so at the moment you have access, let's say, to your text messaging, your phone and your alarm. And the color recognizer sounds interesting to me. You're, you're using the camera for that, I'm assuming. What, what sort of feedback are you getting on that? on that aspect? 
uh, quite uh, uh, quite nice uh, because users will appreciate it. We know that most of the users, uh, when they are taking clothes and they are selecting clothes in the morning, so uh, the colors should match all together. So maybe this is the main uh, this, is, this is the main use case for the color recognizer at the moment. Now, when you when you when you buy the app, you you were talking obviously in the Czech Republic, you're selling it with a phone. But for people outside of the Czech Republic who might be interested in this app, is there is are there recommended Android handsets that it should run on, or is it is it pretty flexible? We've got uh, several Android handsets mentioned in our web page. Uh, for example, we would recommend to use Samsung Yang. It is quite low cost and very reliable mobile phone. It costs about uh, $100 now at the market currently. So the complete solution costs about $150, right? Okay, so the so the software, just so we get the price right, the software, I'm correct in saying, is €50, Euros, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So software is €50. 40, Euros. It's about €45, Euros, 40, right? 45 yeah. okay. And then, so you, you buy that, and then you, you get your phone, obviously, whatever your phone costs. Exactly, exactly. And we recommend some kind of phones that we already tested, and uh, they are fine with that. Okay, and you have those listed on, on your website? Exactly. Okay. And, or, pres- and presumably, um, you have all of the let's say, typical functionality that you'd see in these apps um, that would relate to screen reading. So being able to control the speed of the voice and the level of punctuation spoken and all that. Is, is, are those type of options available? Yes, all these, uh, all these options are available. Okay, very good. Um, one of the things people are doing a lot with their phones nowadays is web browsing. And, and I know you don't have that just yet. Is that one of the things you're looking at for the future? Exactly, exactly. We are going to develop web browsing and also email client in our app. So if somebody buys the app now, um, you're obviously talking about upgrades. Is there a policy around free updates indefinitely or is there a, you know, how will that work for people? Now, currently we are offering the free upgrades uh, for for uh, indefinite time, right? So in this current price, all the upgrades are already included in the future. Fantastic. And what are people saying about the app? Because I guess... Most, mostly at the moment it's being used in the Czech Republic, but I know you have uh, localizations and, and translations. I think there was something about Spanish recently. What sort of feedback are you getting? Uh, they, are, they, are, they are really excited, uh, especially about the user interface. It's very easy, very fast to migrate, very fast to run, and they also appreciated our unique keyboard that we developed. It's based on uh, the old uh, classical uh, phones that are equipped with hardware keyboard, right? So the appearance is alphanumeric keyboard and was especially designed uh, not to make uh, mistakes, right? So uh, I would recommend to try the keyboard for uh, our users and they will surely surely get to know that it's really fantastic. Okay, Okay, sounds great. So it's available on Google Play for €45. It's called Blind Shell. And if people want to get more information, Daniel, where can they go? Well, naturally, they could visit our uh, web page or they could uh, send us email. There is a special web form, so uh, we are reacting quite fast and uh, we we are really responding to each email that we receive. Okay, brilliant. And we'll put the website for Blind Shell on the show notes for this episode. Uh, but Daniel, may I wish you all the very best. Sounds like a great innovative idea uh, to make the Android 
uh, operating system more accessible and indeed those cheaper phones get them into the hands of more blind and low vision users. So for the moment, Daniel, thanks a million for joining us. Thank you very much for your invitation. You are listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast for September 2014. I'm Stuart Lawler. Hope you're enjoying the program so far. And now here's a very interesting demo from a true gentleman. We've had him on the podcast before, Sean Randall in the UK. And he's talking to us about something called the Chromecast. Hello, Sean Randall here. And thank you, Stuart, for the chance for me to tell you about this wonderful gadget. I am, of course, talking about the Chromecast. Now, let's just start with a physical description of the thing. Uh, it's tiny. It's a dongle, basically. I think that's the technical term. Uh, it's maybe two and a half inches long. Uh, it looks like a bulkier version of uh, a memory stick, uh, except it hasn't got a USB bit on the end. It has an HDMI bit. Uh, and that that's the bit you plug into the HDMI socket on your TV or your monitor, however you wish to use it. On the back, on the other end, uh, is a micro USB port. Uh, and into this, you stick the uh, supplied cable, the other end of which is a standard USB plug, which you can either put into the supplied power socket, you know, like the iPhone has a, has a charger, or the Android stuff comes with a, a plug into which you can slip a USB uh, cable. Or, this is the really cool bit, you can power the Chromecast from a spare USB port. So, for example, we've just got our new TV because the old one was broken and we don't use the USB port on it. You can use it by uh, plugging in a hard drive or a memory stick and browsing the content, uh, but of course the browser isn't accessible to us as, as blind people and so the USB port goes unused. So we've got the power for the uh, Chromecast coming from the TV itself, so we only actually use one plug for the television and the Chromecast, which is pretty cool. So you've got this little dongle in the back of your TV, you say, and what does it do? Well, in a nutshell, the Chromecast is designed to stream content from various sources online to your television uh, without you having to supply that content via your mobile phone or computer. So this morning, for example, we... Uh, wanted to watch a Barbie film. My three-year-old daughter picked up a Barbie DVD and uh, she started on the Barbie phase. And um, because the DVD player is in storage, because we don't use it very often, I thought I'll look on YouTube and see if there's anything she can watch. And there were a few cartoons and there were a few Barbie uh, bits of animation and previews for things which kept her happy uh, on YouTube. Uh, ordinarily, I would have let her watch them of the computer, uh, which is uh, rare, but sometimes we do that, or I would have HDMI'd the computer into the, the TV. But with this little gizmo, I don't need to do that. I can just press a button on, uh, on my touchscreen iPhone, and it says, okay, there's a video on YouTube you want to watch, let's, let's put it on the big screen. And, and that's what it does. That's what it does, basically. So what I've got here in my right hand is an iPhone. Uh, I'm using a 5S, uh, but I think any old iOS 7 iPhone will do the trick. There is also um, an app for Android or Chromebooks, and there is a plugin for the Chrome web browser on Windows uh, as well. So you've got all the platforms covered, or all major platforms covered here. And uh, when you've plugged your Chromecast into your TV for the first time, 
and told the TV into which socket you've plugged it. You have to press the, the source or input button to tell it which which input to use, obviously. You're presented with a, you know, welcome to Chromecast, please set me up screen. You then load up the Chromecast app, however you go about it, and it will ask you to connect to the Chromecast. The Chromecast appears as a new wireless network. Uh, I think mine was called Chromecast 2311 or something, something numeric, anyway. Uh, so by connecting your phone to this network, you then can proceed with the setup. You give the Chromecast a name. I called mine the lounge because it's plugged into the TV in our lounge. Uh, and you tell it which network, which wireless network, I should clarify, is yours. Uh, and the Chromecast then turns off its, its broadcasting a wireless signal mode and connects to your wireless network. And when that setup task is done, it then uses the same network as your connected device, i.e. your computer or your phone, uh, as a way of talking to each other. So by you putting the Chromecast on your network, the various apps on my iPhone then can see that there's a Chromecast available on the network and they allow me to, to use it accordingly. So I'm just going to unlock my iPhone. Thursday, the 28th of August, 10.16pm. Uh, okay, it's 10.16pm, we know. Pedometer. Okay, and it puts me on the pedometer, which is the first app on this page of my, my home screen. Uh, I'm not going for a jog now, it's a bit late, so I'm going to open up my Chromecast folder. Chromecast folder. Eight apps. I've got eight apps in here. I'll go through what these are, because you might be interested to know what's Chromecast. Of you can Heading. use. Text field. The first app here is Chromecast. Chromecast itself. This is the Google-provided app, uh, which you use to set up or alter the settings of your Chromecast. So, if, for example, I get another one, which I probably will for my kitchen, uh, I will use this app to set up another new Chromecast, give it a different name, and then when I press the button in the various apps, I'll get two choices, my lounge or my kitchen, and I can choose where I go. So that's the app you use to set the Chromecast up. Uh, I won't show you that app because I've already done my setup, and it would take a while to walk through it and be a bit pointless. The next app I have here... Cloud for Chromecast. It's called Cloud for Chromecast. It's a simple app, this, and what it does basically is let you put any content you have in the cloud... Uh, i.e. Dropbox or OneDrive, I think it uses, uh, onto the, the TV. So I was using it to, just to test out, uh, showing some photos and playing some MP3s. Now, this is just one of numerous apps that does this sort of thing, and it's one of the few ways at the moment of getting local media that you have, rather than the internet has, to play on the Chromecast. Uh, that's one area where the Chromecast doesn't really excel. Uh, we'll come up to that in a bit later on. But if you want to get content that you have rather than that stored online onto the Chromecast, it's not as, as easy. Uh, next app? YouTube. Is YouTube, of course. This is the most popular one that I think that I use. Uh, because there's loads of stuff on YouTube, I, I watched a, a documentary yesterday whilst washing up thanks to my Chromecast on the TV, and I found the documentary on the phone and then played it on the TV. Uh, next we have... BBC iPlayer. BBC iPlayer. Um, obviously only relevant to people in the UK, uh, but again, you can find the program you want to watch and send it out to the TV from within this app. Uh, at the moment, time of recording, iPlayer doesn't support audio described content on the iPhone, but that's not a Chromecast problem, that's a, an iPlayer problem, and when they fix that, the Chromecast will support uh, audio description. RDIO. Uh, RDIO is a Spotify-like streaming service for music, it's not as big as Spotify, and I don't know how much it costs. I've got a free trial at the moment, and we used it this afternoon to have some Ed Sheeran playing in our lounge. 
whilst we did a few things around the house. Play movies. Play movies is the Google movies app. If you were to buy any movies on the Google website or indeed through this app, I think you can then find them here to play on your Chromecast. Google movies sell TV shows uh, and, and films, and I think you can buy your rent from them as well, but I haven't really used that very much. Photocast. Photocast is another app, uh, one of the multitudes I mentioned earlier for doing pictures and things. The difference with this one is that it lets you use your iPhone's photo library, camera roll, or videos. So uh, you can stream them from your phone or your iPad, I suppose, to a Chromecast. And I should point out that it doesn't have to be your Chromecast. If I go to a friend's house and he has a Chromecast on his wireless network and I, my iPhone is connected to that self-same network, this would work just as well uh, in his house as in mine. Which means, unfortunately, that when my grandmother turns up to my house in, in a few weeks' time to go to a concert with me, she'll bring her Nexus tablet with her and she'll be showing me all her line dances on my nice new shiny TV and I can't do anything about it other than uh, taking my Chromecast away. Uh, so, you know, it's a communal thing. Wookie TV. And Wacky TV is another one of these online providers of content. The biggest one, of course, is Netflix, which is an app I haven't got on my phone yet. Um, which one of these you go with will depend, of course, on what sort of content you're after, what pricing structure you're comfortable with. Um, for example, Blinkbox, the Tesco provided service, doesn't offer you the option of subscribing. You simply pay as you buy, you, you know, you buy or rent films or TV programs, and you pay what you what you want for them. Whereas Netflix is more of a subscription model, and uh, and I think Wacky has a bit of both. You can buy or rent, or you can have a package where you subscribe for, for so much a month. So these are just a few of the apps and services that Chromecast works with. What I'm going to do is open up the first of these apps. Cloud for Chromecast. Cloud for Chromecast. I'll double tap that app for you. Cloud for Chromecast. Heading. And this app is quite uh, accessible. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles that you would expect of an app that's streamed from your cloud systems. I haven't found any support for playlists or anything. And there are ads, but you can upgrade, so maybe there are upgrades here. Let's just have a quick look at this app. Cast outline button. This is a button and it says cast outline. Uh, and it's saying cast outline because it's not connected to a Chromecast. If I double tap it. Alert. Connect to device. And if I flick. Cancel button. Connect to device. There's nothing there. Cancel There's button. nothing to connect to. Cloud for Chromecast. Heading. Cast outline button. That's where If I flick again, it'll tell you a bit about the app. With Cloud for Chromecast, you can submit your content stored on Dropbox or OneDrive directly on your TV via Chromecast. The application supports MP3, MP4, MOV, and JPG files. This application requires Chromecast device. That's just a brief summary of, of, of the app. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to put the flip phone down. I'm going to pick up the TV remote, and I'm going to put the TV on. And I haven't got the mixer wired up here, I'm just sat talking into a microphone, so you won't be hearing uh, with extraordinary clarity, but you will be able to at least hear, I hope. Uh, and the TV's come on, it's not plugged into uh, an aerial at the moment, because I've moved it for the recording, so all you have on the screen is the uh, Chromecast is ready legend. Now, going back to my app, if I press on the cast outline button, Cast outline button. Alert. Connect to device. Lounge button. It now says the lounge, as this is the Chromecast I have, and it would ordinarily be downstairs, but I've moved it for the recording. I'll double tap on that. Cloud for Chromecast. Heading. And now the button has changed. Cast solid black button. To a solid black 
cast button, which means it's connected to a device. If I click on the Dropbox tab, which is at the bottom of the app, Dropbox tab selected Dropbox and then tap on a file. Zero nine two underscore McGraw between underscore the underscore river underscore and underscore me MP three five point eight megabytes modified Sunday the tenth of October two thousand and ten. That's an old Tim McGraw track I have in my Dropbox. Public back button. Um, I've double tapped it. I've got a back button right in the middle of the screen. Stream to Chromecast button. Is a stream to Chromecast button. I can double tap that. Stream to Chromecast. And the TV. We'll start playing the file. This is probably the simplest way of getting content to the Chromecast, but it's no more difficult on any other app. We'll just go back to my folder. Chromecast heading text and field. We'll open up Chromecast Cloud for YouTube BBC iPlayer BBC iPlayer BBC iPlayer Program information back back button. And I've already got a program here. Program information. What's the heading? Play? Connect to cast devices oh, button. We've already found it. Before we even get to the program information is the connect to cast devices button. This button doesn't appear unless there is a Chromecast available. Uh, so if I've gone into this app without the Chromecast turned on, I wouldn't even have known it was there. CBB's Ugly Duckling, retelling of Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale with dance performances by Northern Ballet. Mr. Bloom and the Tiddlers go on a wildlife adventure with the Ugly Duckling. Six days left to watch. Okay, so that was a program that I put on this evening. Lily watched that before she went to bed. Uh, a quiet program without much uh, fanfare about it. Uh, but again, you press on connect the to cast connect devices to cast device button. button. Alert. Connect to device. The lounge button. Tap the lounge. Program information. It's taken over back. The, uh, back button. The stream from that Tim McGraw song. That other app is no longer casting. CBB's Ugly Duckling. Retailing. Play button. And if I press play, it would start. I'm not going to because my other half is using Skype downstairs and I don't want to eat up the bandwidth. Uh, but it would start playing it on the TV. The volume control would work to adjust the volume of the TV, of course, as well as the standard remote control volume. Uh, and I could even shut my iPhone off or go out of the Wi-Fi network range, and it wouldn't matter because all the phone does, I think, essentially, is give the Chromecast the link to stream the program uh, and any credentials you have to have. So I'm assuming, for example, if I was signed into something like Netflix, it would tell the Chromecast that I was authorised along with the link of the video to play. It's a similar story in YouTube. Um, when you find a YouTube video you want to watch, instead of pressing the play button, you press the YouTube TV button and it goes, oh yes, there's a Chromecast, is there? Which one's that one? Then you, you tap on the lounge and before you know it, it, um, it plays it on the full screen. The only slight thing I found with YouTube is that there is a video a button on the top left-hand corner of the screen in YouTube which says pause and collapse the video. And that is the button you use to uh, thumbnail the video on the screen of the iPhone to get the rest of the controls up. That doesn't actually pause the video when it's playing on the Chromecast. The standard pause button does, and the standard duration slider and, and things work, but that button allows you to get back to the interface of YouTube on your phone whilst continuing to play things on YouTube, and you can add things to the TV queue in YouTube app and they will be played in sequence on the Chromecast. So you could schedule up, you know, a batch, a playlist of, of tracks, of music videos, of, of uh, ice bucket challenges, whatever you wanted to, to watch uh, as a family. Uh, and you can use your iPhone as a remote to line all that up and organize it all. The accessibility of this is, is really good, actually. I'm very impressed. A similar story happens in the browser if you're using Chrome uh, and you load up the YouTube web page. Uh, 
where all the controls are on, on the page, you know, the play and the pause buttons, there is a play on TV button just in the, in the body of the web page. Pressing it gives you a little drop down of which Chromecast you want to use, and the similar thing applies. So it's, it's quite universal in, in that regard. But it cost me £18 to buy. I bought it accidentally, and it's quite ironic that I was looking at and thinking about buying one for a while, and I didn't want to buy it. I put it in my basket without being signed in to Amazon, thinking, oh, you know, I'll, I'll come back to it. I signed in uh, later on in the day to buy something for next day delivery, and I didn't really look at what I was checking out, and then this Chromecast turned up. And I thought, I'll play with it before I send it back. But, you know, I'm not going to send it back because I think it works really well. Uh, for us, as two blind parents with a, a hyperactive toddler, uh, watching her choice of TV, which we can independently give to her, I think it is quite wonderful. And I think it's worth the money for us just for YouTube and iPlayer, to be honest. There is so much on YouTube. As I said, I've been watching documentaries. My other half likes her, her sport and her nature program, so she'll watch some of those on YouTube, and uh, she may get uh, a BT Sport month, you know, at certain times of the year. Uh, it works with things like Netflix, like Blinkbox, uh, and a bunch of lesser-known services like Plex and and RDIO and a few others. So it's not huge at the moment uh, in terms of what apps are supported. It's not like an Apple TV where you can stream your whole iTunes library, but for less than £20... I certainly think if you do have videos in the cloud, if you do watch content from iPlayer, if you do use YouTube, or you just want to stream some music to your TV, it's a very accessible, very affordable, and very impressively compact yet effective option for doing so. I hope that's uh, answered all your questions, but uh, I've certainly found it a very simple process to use the thing and even setting it up wasn't too complicated as well so uh, i've enjoyed showing you thank you for listening and uh, it's a goodbye for me If you're a technology trainer or if you're teaching somebody to use a computer, finding appropriate and suitable and well-structured material is really important. Well, a company called Digital Apex in the United States are doing just that and producing a whole load of really good stuff. We're delighted to have on Skype with us today, Mark Nelson. Mark, welcome to our technology podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great to have you here because I came across the website a couple of weeks ago um, and having a look at it. And initially I thought it was for end users. And then I read a bit more and I realized it's actually for trainers. What sort of stuff are you, are you looking at? Okay, so what we do is we produce the materials that's really focused on the operating system or, or the iPad or the Internet and bringing the assistive technology along for the ride, meaning the person really needs to learn, for example, to use Microsoft Word 2013 with JAWS versus trying to learn JAWS in a vacuum and then trying to do all kinds of configurations and playing around to make Word work with it. A good screen reader should, or magnifier should follow the individual. So we focus on the application, but instruct the instructor how to... Um, help someone learn to use that program when they're using a given assistive technology product. Now, the instructors who'd be teaching with your material, is it, is it, is it useful that they have some experience? Are, are, like, are, are you aiming it maybe at assistive technology trainers per se, or would these be people who maybe are technology trainers, haven't had much experience with the AT, but want to work with a visually impaired student? 
it's mostly geared to someone who has some experience. Um, what we hear from those who have lots of experience is that the content can be a bit wordy, but that's trying to support the individual who is an instructor and is newish, or maybe as a teacher of visually impaired, their focus being helping people with the academics and the technology being secondary. So uh, it's not necessarily for someone who is a novice in the field without AT experience, but definitely from beginner to advanced of those who are assistive technology instructors. Now, one of the interesting things I was looking at, the suite of material and what you get, I suppose, if you buy the um, the packets that you make available. Um, and you even have documentation or templates, I suppose, to track a learner's progress. Tracking the learner's progress is one of the most important things in this industry. So often what happens is that instructors need to track their hours provided for an individual or their overall hours providing instruction. And that's great. It needs to be done. But what can happen is then we accidentally fall into that as a measure versus learning the me- or using the measure of the learning to know what, what was known at the beginning and known at the end, and that can be reported and documented. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's such an important piece. Yeah, I was really impressed. And there are some sample um, training uh, um, courses, I suppose, on the website that you can download. I looked at one today for Windows 8 with JAWS. It was very well described. And actually, yes, it, it's, I mean, there's lots of text in there, but I wouldn't call it wordy. I would call it very thorough. So if it was a, if there was a, a, a tutor, I suppose, looking at this with a view to using it as a syllabus, I think it's a really good start. Right. Yeah. Thank you very much. So tell us about the, 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 the way that you, I suppose, sell these. What, what's, your, what's your pricing structure? How, how, does it, how does it work? Okay. So normally these are purchased by organizations, but there are some private individuals who um, are purchasing as well. The pricing is a subscription. So the organization would purchase an annual subscription, which then gives them license to use the material for a year. And that might be for a single instructor or it might be a statewide license. Statewide license, obviously, are uh, quite a bit more than individual licenses. To license one individual is $1,995. And then the second and third users um, on top of that one are the same price. So if you have three users, it's two times the price. So um, um, $3,990, sorry. And then we go up by $1,000 for the fourth and fifth user and then $750 from um, users six and, a, and above. Okay, so, so then so when we get to you know, some pretty large statewide um, kind of purchases, we you know, kind of negotiate that out. Okay, so I suppose the, the more users are added, the, um, potentially the, the, the cheaper it becomes because you're adding more people. Well, Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I noticed you're sort of, at the moment, there's a lot of stuff up there for JAWS and Window Eyes and Zoom Text. You're looking at NVDA, or, or, and obviously I know you're looking at the iPad. Are you looking at NVDA or, or anything else? We haven't yet looked at NVDA, but I will say this. We're really customer-driven. And so we try to be very reactive to what um, users ask us for. I haven't yet had any. Um, requests for NVDA, 
but it's not, you know, nothing is off the table. I will say that the roadmap um, we have in place, if the world will work my way, is that next year in 2015, we will add the Macintosh. Well, Mark, I hope the world does work your way because you're doing really good work. I was seriously impressed with the quality of what I looked at. And um, do you want to give us the website information where people can uh, log on if they want to find out more about what you have to offer? Sure. Our website is uh, mydigitalapex.com. MyDigitalApex.com Okay, we'll stick that on the show notes for this episode. Mark, for the moment, uh, well done and continued success and thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you. Many thanks to Mark Nelson there from Digital Apex telling us all about the training where that his company offers. And I do think something like this is essential, especially in an environment where you may have a visually impaired student in mainstream education. Um, it, it's just really good quality stuff. And I was very impressed by what I saw. So well done, Mark. We'll definitely keep in touch with that company. And speaking of training, we had a very nice email after our last podcast from Eleanor Burke, who's a regular um, a regular, a regular listener and a regular contactor, I suppose, to our podcast. And amongst other things, she was talking about the benefits of online or remote training. Uh, she's been use- learning to use the Mac uh, over the last couple of months and has been working with people in the US and also pointed me in the direction of a book written by a gentleman called Tim Sniffen, uh, all about getting to use, getting to use your Mac and iOS devices. And uh, we will be talking to Tim on a future edition of the podcast. So sincere thanks, Eleanor, for getting in touch. And it's probably a very good time to remind you that if you want to get in touch uh, with us, if you'd like to say something, something you want to comment on, something that you've heard, or you have suggestions or something you want to talk about for the podcast, please send an email to technologypodcast at ncbi.ie. Now, for a number of years, one of the top scanning apps and indeed scanning devices has been the KNFB Reader. It started out as a hardware device in its own right, a portable device. I remember it in NCBI at one point. And then we had the mobile device on the Symbian operating system. And in fact, many people I know hung on to Symbian just to keep their KNFB Reader when some of us were struggling to do OCR on iOS. Well, it's an exciting time because at the NFB convention this year, a KNFB Reader app for iOS was announced. James Gashel is with KNFB Reading Technologies and joins us on Skype. James, welcome to NCBI's Technology Podcast. Hi, Stuart, and uh, hello to our worldwide audience. Very nice to have you joining us. Uh, I, I know I've heard you on many podcasts before, so it's a real privilege to have you with us. Uh, James, maybe before we talk about iOS and KNFB, and it's it's very exciting, um, just maybe give us a bit of the kind of history of, of KNFB, because you started with a, um, a hardware device that wasn't even a mobile. <laughs> right. Actually, um, I'd have to go back about 40 years almost uh, to the time when uh, Ray Kurzweil walked into my office. At that time, I was head of the Washington, D.C. office of the National Federation of the Blind. And he said he had invented a reading machine, and uh, that sounded pretty good, but we haven't ever seen a reading machine, and this was in the days before personalized computers, so it was kind of hard to imagine. Well, in fact, he had invented a reading machine. It was about the size of a dishwasher, 
And uh, if you put a paper down on top of it, as you would on a copying machine, it would whir and buzz a while. And about a minute later, it would start to speak in a strange, um, maybe Scandinavian sounding voice. And it would, in fact, speak the text of what it recognized. This was the first reading machine for the blind, and it was called the Kurzweil reading machine. And when it started to sell, the original pre-production models were $50,000. The National Federation of the Blind bought six of them. And then it um, started to sell commercially, and I, I don't recall the exact price. I think it might have been around $30,000. It was sold to libraries and schools, but not too many to individuals. Then um, uh, over the years, it uh, went through various uh, iterations in form factor and approach uh, down to the point where a lot of us had uh, personal computers and then the Kurzweil reading machine was called the Kurzweil 1000 and runs on uh, PCs, Windows PCs, mm -hmm. and uses a scanner. So that's the um, evolution of that technology. But in 2001, Ray Kurzweil said to the National Federation of the Blind here in the U.S., that he thought the time was coming when we could have a handheld reader. At that point in time, the hardware didn't exist to have a handheld reader, but he predicted that it would exist in about four years. Well, he was pretty accurate, and in about four and a half years, uh, the hardware did exist. It was a, a small PDA um, and and a digital camera, two separate major components. We had to build the software between 2001 and 2005, 2006. We had to build the software without actually having hardware to run it on. We were able to do that, though, because we had an idea of what the hardware would be like, what operating systems we would have to deal with. So we connected a digital camera, and a PDA built a case around it, and uh, that was called the Kurzweil National Federation of the Blind Reader. And it was the world's first handheld reading device, and it worked very, very well. But by our standards today, it was still slow. Um, maybe it would be 20 or 30 seconds between the time that you would snap a picture and if you were lucky, it might be 15 seconds and the voice would begin to speak. And it was a much better voice than the original Kurzweil reading machine. It's interesting, James, because I remember seeing it. Uh, we had one here in Dublin in NCBI. We got a, a prototype, I think, or um, a demonstration version. And I remember, yes. I suppose we were comparing it to, as you mentioned there, Kurzweil software on a PC. Here was something you could hold in your hand. And 15 seconds was, was pretty impressive back then. Yes, and, and, you know, we didn't handle that product too long, and we were then able to run it on a cell phone, and that was a real breakthrough because then we did not have to worry about the hardware challenge of combining a PDA and a digital camera. But the first cell phone version was on a Nokia N82 cell phone, and that little cell phone had an ideal processor and a great little camera with a xenon flash and we were able to get wonderful pictures 
uh, out of that device. Still do for those of us who still have the the N82, mm-hmm. and the software just runs great on it, and it's a wonderful reader. And I, th- I still think, Stuart, it's the gold standard for a portable reading device. Well, it's you know it, it's true. There's a, a and quite a number of people in Ireland still will not get rid of their N82 and and, and are are using it just to run the KNFB reader. So it, it's yeah, I am too, uh, but but I'm moving over to the iPhone. Yeah. Okay. So on that on that topic, you announced in in June of this year the launch of KNFB for for iPhone, and, and it's, it's very exciting because there's obviously been a lot of OCR apps previously, and we've talked even on this podcast before, James, about different stands you can get for the iPhone to help with OCR. But I don't think any have been as maybe truly blindness specific as what you're going to be bringing out very shortly. I think that's right. We, we of course, have looked at the different apps and it would be fine if there was something out there that really would work for blind people. And there have been some efforts to customize apps that are available or have been available so that they would work for us. But we didn't see anything that we thought was really optimized, as was the KNFB reader on the Symbian phones. And and uh, we had to wait some because the uh, Apple hardware, and to some degree the Apple software, the uh, especially access to settings for the camera, have, have just not been up to snuff for what we would need. Other apps that have been designed, I think are primarily used by people who want to scan and store data. And um, they may not worry about it too much or they can edit it on a PC, but it's for people who can see to do all of that and who can see to take a really good picture. In designing KNFB software, we assume that the person who is taking the picture doesn't see the image at all. So we have our secret sauce, I guess, if you want to put it that way, is image uh, pre-processing software. So once we get the image, before we send it to the OCR, we improve the image because we we figure there may be shadows there, there may be glare, there may be other characteristics about the image that would not be optimal for optical character recognition. So we improve the image as much as we can. If, if it's twisted or distorted in some way, we improve that image and then send it to the OCR, and the OCR can thus do a better job. Nobody else does that. Is this image uh, processing or image improvement being done on the device, or are you sending it to a server somewhere else? In other words, do oh, you no, require it's done it? completely within our software oh, in the, okay. on the device. Okay, all yeah. right. We don't send anything outside of the device. Okay. And, um, and so this is true on the Symbian phones. It's true on the iPhone as well. And, and so I think that's what gives us a leg up over these other apps, especially when they are used by blind people. Now, we have some other features in the app, of course. Field of view report is an important one that people will recognize from the Symbian app. It's a way for you to uh, get a report as to whether or not all four images of or all four edges of the document are being seen. Uh, so that 
capability exists. We tell you once you have taken the picture for recognition whether or not edges of the text have been left out. Uh, so we have the tilt guidance capability so that the app will tell you if the device is tilted one way or the other or side to side, which is good because you want as, as um, straight an image as you can get. Twisted doesn't matter so much, but tilt backwards and forwards distorts the letters. Tilt side to side distorts the letters. So it, it's desirable for optimum character recognition to have um, uh, as level as you possibly can. We do that with a vibrating, um, well, we use the, the vibration sensor in the phone, and then um, the vibrations get faster, they pulsate, they get faster the further you are away from level and slower and and absent completely when you're absolutely level. So those are just some of the features that we include so blind people can take the best pictures possible. Okay, and I, I, I mean, I think that's the key thing there. Blind people can take pictures because I've said it on this podcast before, I've failed miserably with, with uh, doing OCR. <laughs> um, so just tell us, you, you take the picture, you're talking about that processing of the image, trying to make it as good as possible before OCR. What happens when our OCR is ready? Do we read it with voiceover? Can we use additional speech engines? Are you, are you offering that kind of stuff? Actually, both. Um, you, so, so you have what we call our built-in TTS, um, and that uses the Symbian capability for TTS. Not, not voiceover now, but just it voices the text, um, as soon as we have any text to voice, and that's within a fraction of a second, frankly, after uh, we take the picture. And uh, once the page is, well, let's say, fully rendered, and again, that would be approximately within a second after the um, picture is taken. It depends on how complicated the text is. But once the processing is complete, then that same text is also available with voiceover. And um, you can actually choose to have different voices, one for voiceover and one for our built-in TTS. Um, we can call it that for simplistic purposes. Okay. So um, you can then navigate through the text, once it's fully rendered, uh, you can navigate through the text using the standard voiceover gestures. Mm -hmm. um, and we do have some navigation tools uh, for the TTS. And when I say the TTS, this is also where synchronized highlighting moves through the text as the words are spoken. That, of course, is not the case with voiceover, which is only speech. And um, so everybody that knows the voiceover commands knows that they will have full uh, movement through the text using the voiceover commands as well. So, for example, you could do a two-finger swipe down and just hear the whole thing read if you want. Correct. Okay. Um, and and not only that, but you also have Braille access with the uh you know, with voiceover. Sure. And can you save documents to the phone? You scan maybe, I don't know, a room service menu. You might want to look at it later on. Can you save those things? Absolutely. It goes right to the file explorer. You can name the, the saved file or you can choose the default name, which will be a date and time stamp. 
But you can also, as I say, write in your own name and replace the date and timestamp, and it will then be held in your file explorer, which is a directory of all the saved files you uh, have. Now, one of the interesting things I heard uh, from the NFB conference was somebody was was tweeting about your product and was saying that it was um, it was being used in a demonstration to read some text off a PowerPoint pr- uh, presentation on a screen. And it struck me that maybe this uh, device could be used, for example, if a blind person gets into a computer crash, they want to read the text of the screen. Is that what you're looking at as well? You proposing it simply could be used to do that um i i haven't tested it too much in that regard but i know it would work um i have a kindle fire and um you know they've made the kindle now so it's a bit more accessible than it used to be so but but anyway just for test purposes i read the page of a book top to bottom on my kindle fire uh, with the, I took a picture of it with the uh, KNFB Reader app, and it read it uh, flawlessly top to bottom. So I think the, the answer is yes, it'll do the same thing for a computer screen. Okay. How will it work? Are you, are you suggesting, are you recommending that there will be better results if people use one of these? There are many iPhone stands available for, for, for cameras. We've talked about them on this podcast before. Or do you, do you see people being able to just hold the phone and scan? Well, I think it's a matter of convenience. Um, it, it, uh, more than anything, and, and there are stands available. And, um, so if a person wants to use the reader that way, I certainly would highly recommend it. And one example would be if you're connected via Bluetooth with a Braille display, you can actually control the reader with the Braille display. You can take pictures, you can, uh, read the text and um, never touch the reader. And the reader simply sits on the stand and you place documents under it. Another um, uh, application of that or another use of that would be to read a book. Um, While it's somewhat difficult to snap picture, 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 picture to go through the pages of a book, we have an automatic mode which um, is designed to... Uh, take a picture automatically when text is detected. So imagine having the reader on a stand, taking a picture of a page in a book, flipping the page, and the reader automatically takes the picture of the next page. Flip the page, and the reader automatically takes the picture of the next page. The reader takes a picture every time it detects text and is ready to take that picture. So you really, it's a it's um, virtually a hands-free method of using the reader um, uh, because you're not touching the reader, you're touching the book. Okay, so I suppose it, it, it'll be a little bit of trial and error uh, for people depending on the environment that they're scanning. And as, I guess as you become more comfortable with, with, the, with the app and knowing the distance to put, place the camera from the text and the type of text, you will get more proficient at it, right? There's no question about that. Um, roughly... We recommend being about a foot away from the document. Now, can this be used for, for things like, I'm um, thinking very kind of basic household ideas, identifying your, your tins, from your beans and peas and your cartons, and will it do all that kind of stuff as well? It, it will do it, um, but it's about like the KNFB reader always has been. We're the victim of, of uh, significant graphics, and while we can accommodate to some curvature, of the um, 
of the target, um, you know, too much. The letters are distorted. Okay. And and the other thing I wanted to mention about that is uh, the print size. We like small print. We we like, we really do like small print. Um, so when you get these large stylized letters, which are pretty to look at and represent the product in a visual way that people recognize it, that's not really good for optical character recognition. Now, that said, I, I will say with the iPhone app, I've had some outstanding experience in taking pictures of um, really large letters in outdoor environments. So recently I was in Baltimore, Maryland, and they have a, a national shrine there, which is the Fort McHenry where the uh, American flag was born. And I took a picture of the big, big sign with big, big lettering. And I was standing, I have no idea how far back, 30 or 40 feet back from the uh, overhead sign. And it read it um, flawlessly at it, Fort McHenry National Shrine and, and uh, told us all about it in, in very large letters. So uh, I don't want I, I just say to people, try it. Okay. Um, okay. Whenever we say it won't read it, we find that, in fact, it will. Okay. What devices will it be compatible with? We've, we've iPhone 5S and before, you know, um, as far back as, as what? Probably the iPhone 4S. Okay. Um, not before that. I'm sure we'll have people who will try it. Sure. We're, we're limiting our, our testing to iPhone 4S and above. Um, and what happens is that the older the phone, the slower the processing and the less accurate the recognition Two reasons. The processors are not as fast and the cameras are not as good. Okay, but basically 5S, 5C, 5 or 4S, you should be good. Oh, you should be okay. Okay, so we're excited about it. Um, we're recording in mid-August. This podcast will be published at the very beginning of September. When are you hoping to launch? Well, I think this app will be in the App Store by the time uh, we all hear the podcast. Uh, we okay. expect to put it in, the, go live in the App Store um, by on or before August 31. And we're on track to do that. Okay. Now, uh, we've heard a lot of discussion on price, and I have to say I've heard varying reports on Twitter. So let's ask the man, go direct to the source. What are we looking at for this? Well, what sounds like a wonderful $99. Okay. It, it, it's an expensive app. That's $99 US. It's an expensive app, but it does things that uh, other products in its genre or in its class um will charge you several thousand dollars to do in some instances. Uh, so it is the least expensive um, image uh, capture and read um, technology that you can possibly get. And, um, you know, l let's put it this way. It's worth it. 
Um, some people have said we should offer it for free. We can't do that. Some people have said, uh, you know, the price is too high. Well, let's let the marketplace determine whether or not it's too high. Um, uh, we thought about different prices. We think that $99 is just about right. Okay. Is there any facility to, I don't know, try it or test drive it from the app store and then do an in-app purchase or, or do you just purchase it when you install? You purchase it when you install. Um, our feeling about that, and we have certainly have done market surveys to uh, evaluate the approach to that, um, uh, frankly, our feeling is that at $99, it's not too much to discourage, um, you know, serious users. It's not too difficult to use. Uh, and so a person who meaningfully wants to buy it, um, will do so. And, uh, and at the same time, um, offering it for free for the person who has difficulty, you know, we in the time that would be available for a trial, they wouldn't uh, be able to achieve enough success to really want to buy it. So we we view it as a serious price for serious users. Okay, so ninety nine US dollars in the App Store. Uh, it'll translate somewhere less than that in Euro, uh, depending on the the exchange rate. Um, and you hope to have it available from the 31st of August. Yes. All right, James, it's been a real pleasure to chat to you um, to get to know a little about the app. And I have no doubt there will be plenty of people uh, downloading and purchasing once it hits the App Store. But uh, for the moment, James, thanks a million for talking to us. Thank you, uh, Stuart, and happy to do it any time. Now, that was James Gashel from KNFB Reading Technologies, and many thanks to James for a very thorough interview all about this new and exciting iPhone app. Since we recorded that interview, however, a statement has been released by KNFB Reading Technologies saying that the launch of the KNFB Reader for iOS will be held off now until the launch of iOS 8. So keep an eye on all the media outlets. There's a big media event scheduled scheduled by Apple on the 9th of September. Um, and I think we'll be hearing lots about iOS 8 at that point. And I think the operating system itself will be released shortly thereafter. So you can find the KNFB Reader for iOS launched sometime around the same time as iOS 8. That's just about it for this month's edition of our podcast. Thank you for listening and sincere thanks to all our contributors this month. Daniel Novak, Sean Randall, Mark Nelson and James Gashel. Join us in October when a Amongst other things, I'll be reporting from the RNIB Texture Conference, which is taking place this week, actually, in Scotland. We'll be speaking with Marco Zea all about his Android Challenge. This is really interesting. And Rich Caballero from the Iowa State Department for the Blind will be joining me to talk about technology. Until then, this is Stuart Lawler saying thank you for listening. Have a good month and take care. Bye-bye.